0: Welcome to More to Come, P.W. Comic World's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly uh, and co-editor of P.W. Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. All right. Well, welcome to another episode of uh, More to Come. Uh, today, I have the great pleasure of talking to to Miriam Lebicki, um, the author of Job, Nick. Uh, and most recently Toward a Hot Jew, uh, uh, really uh, unusual, unique, imaginative works in comics. Uh, Miriam, thank you so much for being on More to Come.
1: Thank you. I'm really <laughs> glad to be here.
0: Absolutely. And uh, great. I see you've got some backup there, uh, <laughs> that's, which I think is even better. And I they, she's even applauding us before <laughs> we've started. Um, uh y- 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 well, as I said in my brief interview there, um, I, 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 you know, I, well, I should say I, I, I've known you for a while, but I, I, I don't really know you, you know. And what I do know of you, I, I actually know through your comics and and what uh, uh, many truncated conversations over the course of chatting with you at comic shows. Yeah, we what? always see each other at
1: Comic Con. Yes, absolutely. Always other things going
0: on. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So it's a pleasure actually get a chance to talk with you for a while, uh, and certainly to talk with you <laughs> about your comics. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, well one of the things one of the things I, uh, I want to ask you to do is actually to maybe tell our listeners a little bit about your background um, and um, yeah, I could do it, but I think it would be a lot more interesting coming from you um, and my first knowledge of you and your co- comics obviously was about Jobnik and about the time you spent in the Israeli, uh defense force so could you tell our our listeners a little bit the, about you and, uh, and your comics? Sure.
1: Um, So I grew up in Ohio in a, um, I would say, modern Orthodox uh, Jewish family. So they were Orthodox, but they weren't, you know, super strict or cloistered. But my parents were, uh, I mean, my parents were big Zionists, and my older brother and sister both went to yeshivas, to seminary, Mm -hmm. um, after high school. They both finished high school a year early and went off to seminary. Um, and so I was very into the finishing high school.
0: <laughs> so, so that, can, well, since we up. hear them, could you give us the names of your adorable yeah, children? My children
1: are Vigdal and Mered, and they are hanging out with me. They're home from daycare today. So hopefully <laughs> I'm going to get they're done to come and entertain them.
2: <laughs> um, so
1: I don't have to entertain them. Anyways, um, so I was very into the idea of finishing high school a year early, but I was not so into the idea of no. seminary. You say hello? <laughs> um, uh, so I found a program in Israel that I went on for a year and it was actually all Israelis doing like learning and community service in a poor neighborhood in Jerusalem. Um, and it was like kind of a meeting of secular and, uh, religious formed after the Rabin assassination with the idea of, you know, trying to make connections yeah. between secular yeah. and religious <laughs> in Israel. Um. So that was a very formative year for me. And I haven't written too much about that year, although it's alluded yeah. to in Jobniks. Hello, no, Mix.
0: Um, but the Job, Jobnik is an ongoing series.
1: It is an ongoing series. And so Jobnik is the story of what came after, which is that I got as Israeli citizenship and I joined the army. And I was very unprepared for the military or anything about it. It was very much kind of an idealistic decision because it is universal draft in Israel. So sure. I mm. thought you know if I want to be a real Israeli like my friends, I'm gonna join the army. So the first volume I finished in 2008 and it is ongoing, although it's been kind of slow in the ensuing years because I've al- mm. I always like to work on different things um, uh, and that's why the book of essays has just come out mm. and so that's been going on kind of concurrently to me writing Jobnik. Mm. Um, and as well, I uh, went back to school. I'm doing a master's right now, and I've got two kids. So, uh, John uh, Nick is still coming out, but it's, it's been a little while.
0: Uh, well, you've got a full plate. Um, but, um, okay, that's great. That brings us uh, a, a little bit up to date. Um, um, and I'm, I'm going to jump. To your new book, uh, because I mean you've really uh, you really accomplished something. Uh, it seems quite extraordinary to me. I mean, writing. Um, I mean, autobiographical biographical comics, uh, in some ways, are kind of a mainstay of kind of the the kind of the newest comics. Certainly, at least from the nineteen eighties. Um, I, I I personally, anyway, sort of kind of date you know Harvey Picar. Um, but you've gone another step. Further in in doing them uh, in doing really a book of essays in some ways that also combine the autobiographical. Um, uh, why essays and why in comics? I mean, uh, you've taken a an incredibly labor intensive medium and somehow made it even more so. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Well, I you know when I was in art school, I kind of discovered that some of my favorite classes were actually like the you know, the art history and the sociology and the, like, critical theory classes. So I discovered that I'm, you know, I'm really into humanities. I really like doing research and reading about stuff and learning about stuff. And then, like a nerd, when I learn (laughs) about stuff, I want to grab other people and tell them about
2: it. Okay. (laughs) Um,
1: So, uh the first essay I did, which is the title essay, Toward a Hot Jew, mm-hmm. was basically yes. my uh, senior project in art, in art school from our BFA, um, mm-hmm. that I just kind of noticed that I was, like, Jobnik was one way of processing not being in Israel anymore and coming back and living in Canada, mm-hmm. um, so just telling the mm-hmm. army stories and trying yeah. to remember them in thorough detail, but... I was also just kind of really analyzing and trying to analyze where my feelings were at as, you know, somebody who had been trying to be Israeli and was now in Canada and kind of why I still felt that I romanticized Israeli soldiers when I went, went back. Um, and But instead of writing all about me, I just... I. Kind of started thinking, well it's a sort of a phenomenon that Israeli soldiers are something that's sort of sold to us as American Jews mm-hmm. as idealized version of what Jews can be. and so I kind of wanted to research the history of that and the implications of that and the politics of that. Um, and so I ended up writing basically this you know research opinion paper but the then I drew these like detailed loving graphite portraits of Israeli soldiers. Mm in among the words with the idea that this would be another dimension and it would just kind of show show the romanticization and show the fetishization that i had like i could write all these critical things about israel but at the center of it was this you know loving portrait that just showed my fascination
0: well, I mean, it it, it it really is. I mean, the drawings are really quite of extraordinary, particularly because I mean, the drawing style that I associate with you is is a little different, certainly in Jobnik and in some of the other essays uh, uh, in the book. Um, uh, can you talk about that a little bit? I mean, why this particular brand of drawing style?
1: Yeah, um, it's basically that I kind of locked myself into a style doing Jobnik. That they're mm-hmm. kind of cartoony, you know. Mm-hmm somewhat equally influenced by like, the indie comics, American indie comics of the 80s and 90s, plus also a bit of, you know, manga, I guess, and how everybody sure. is sort of childlike. Yes. Um, but with the... So the essays were kind of a chance that because each was a one-off piece, I could experiment with art, and I could experiment with doing different things. Um, and when I graduated art school, um, I couldn't paint in oils anymore because I didn't have facilities. And so I got into watercolor and I guess somewhere along the lines, I kind of got into like photo reference, um, Mm -hmm. just as a, as a way of doing comics and, you know, the, whether, you know, uh, more faithful or less faithful, but using photo reference and using watercolors. And so for some of my essays, um, the images are pretty direct from photos either that I found or took. And then other essays, you know, it's sort of a hybrid. Like there are cartoonier parts, and there are more photorealistic parts, and just whatever I was interested at the time, and whatever seemed to suit the subject.
0: Yeah, well, I'm yeah. going to jump around to to some of the essays. I mean, I'm 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 really I was completely fascinated by "Stranging the Welcomer," uh, for for all kinds of reasons that we can talk about. Um yeah. But I, you know, but I think I'm what I might like to do th- to start off. Is uh, uh, just to hear you talk a little bit about um, um, uh, the Jewish memoir goes pow zap oy, um, uh as oh. an the the essay where I mean, you talk about the autobiographical comic um, and its and its place in Jewish um, literary history.
1: Yeah, um, so that one was done for an anthology. Like I through toward a hot Jew, I think that there's a. Um, a professor in Florida, Renan Omer-, Omer Sherman, who got in touch with me and said, you know, I'm putting together this anthology about Jews and graphic novels, like instead of Jews in the comics industry, yeah, which yeah. has kind of been done sure. many times. Um, he wanted to do an uh, a, an anthology specifically about the more literary comics and the Jewish influences on those. And so he said that he really liked Word a Hot Jew. And they were thinking of just kind of having some artists in the volume and maybe some Jewish artists talk about how they got into doing comics. And so that just seemed a little bit unambitious for me. Like yeah. I was like, well, I could, you know, just draw this essay. It was like what I did on my summer vacation, whatever, how I started doing comics. Mm. But I'd rather do that and the whole history and the whole reason, in my opinion, why Jews do autobiocomics sure. and why autobiocomics are Jewish. So that definitely like that, that snowballed, um, that ended up longer than I anticipated because <laughs> I got all into like the way that Philip Roth, uh, seemed to have influenced Harvey Picard and Arkham and the whole idea of like the way Freudianism was very influenced by Freud's Judaism and then went on to influence, you know, whole genres of literature in the U S i mean just the idea is still in literary fiction that there has to be some sort of cathartic childhood revelation but anyways like that uh just yeah thinking about things like that and then trying to interview weave have also my story of how i you know got into autobiocomics.
0: and 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 the essay also it's sort of I mean, you essentially sort of created a kind of meta-cartooning drawing style once again. where Because yeah. the essay is really a, a, a hybrid of, of, of every cartoonist that you talk about.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, I have my little, you know, lecturing person that is mm-hmm. based more on the Jobna character than how I actually look. Because just drawing myself like that for so long, I kind of got <laughs> used to. I don't. Um, I got, you know, I, so she's kind of my avatar, um, but it does, you know, it kind of questions her existence in the comic. And also when I talk about, um, Harvey Picard, I talk about Justin Green or Art Spiegelman, I actually take them and trace them in graphite. So it's clearly not their art, but it's also clearly traced off their art. And so when I submitted that to the publisher of the anthology, they got a little bit nervous about that, and they said, well... <laughs> really? Yeah, because, yeah. you know, it's... I mean, what transformative use is, is still a very murky area. Sure. Like, mm-hmm. theories have kind of ruled all over the place, like, what's transformative and what isn't. Yeah. So the editors were like, well, we think this is transformative, but why don't you write to everybody who's art you traced and get their permission?
0: So you had to get uh, permission to, yeah. to sample a style. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Interesting. Uh,
1: well, it is interesting, but I mean, I kind of I think that it's, it's a because I ended up
0: doing it. Like,
1: in the lag time between me finishing the essay and the essay coming out. Um, and this is why uh, going to Comic Cons has been very useful for me, is because, you know, I knew the publishers of Graphics and I knew, mm. uh, like, I had met uh, Danny Fingeroth, who's the executive of Will Eisner, the state, and, uh. like, I kind of was able to know people who know people to get, you know, permission slips to oh, good. <laughs> you know, Harvey Pekar and all those people. And I ended up getting everybody to agree uh, that I was allowed so, to trace their art in the context tra- of this essay where it is clearly not their own. art. Yeah. Um, I do uh,
0: – I'd love to hear you discuss a little bit more about your definition of uh, autobioph- <laughs> uh, autobiographical comics, uh, as you call them, gonzo literary comics. I mean yeah. I associate – the gonzo theme to more pure journalism, or not pure journalism, I guess, but I guess sort of um, um, eccentric jur- journalism, um, of the Hunter Thompson variety. So yeah, could yeah. you just uh, talk about uh, your own uh, uh, d- definition?
1: Well, I was reading a lot of uh, Roth and like, especially Roth's nonfiction and his like essays about things when I was writing that one. And so he says that, like the reason he likes to have his fictional characters sometimes be called Philip Roth is that it just feels more intimate. And it feels more risky, and it feels like you know the way that he's kind of implicating himself in mm. it um, feels yeah just more real and more risky. And so I kind of um, I associated that a lot with you know auto comics I've read and enjoyed, and also autobiocomics comics I've made. Like mm. my autobiographical comics were are drawn about, you know, some kind of very vulnerable times in my life and being a young sure. teen and making really bad decisions and having bad consequences. Um, so I feel like, you know, making bad decisions and having bad con- consequences and then showing everybody like that is also a very Hunter S Thompson thing.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, mm-hmm.
1: and so that's why mm-hmm. I feel like, yeah, just the idea that Gonzo sort of implicates the author and implicates <laughs> the self. And, you know, in humanities research and all that stuff as well, like, I'm very into the idea that you're never a coldly objective observer, that whatever you do, your uh, biography is and your identity is implicated in it.
0: Um, Great. Uh, I'm Uh going to move on to some of the other I mean, so much of the book, obviously, uh, as you said earlier, uh, uh, is about. Uh, Your your Jewish identity, uh, your relationship to Israel, uh, and I guess kind of um, uh, your constant grappling with uh, 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 reality and life in Israel. And I was very taken with um, what I get portraits of your friends that take up some of the succeeding, um, uh, like fierce ease, I believe. And I mean, perhaps you could talk a little bit about those because these are also these really wonderful uh, watercolors. That, uh, that show this uh, ongoing discuss I think strangers also this long distance view of Israel from 2012 yeah. um, that I also found very interesting uh, because your narrative is kind of done as a com- as a browser in a yeah. computer window. But uh, uh, you, as you wrestle with these questions of your, um, yeah, uh, of your own relationship to the news coming out of Israel, Israel the relationship with the Palestinians, um, uh, and the right in Israel, uh, you, you you take us along for the ride.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess kind of a thread in the in the comics is like, okay, I lived in Israel, I came back from Israel, I you know, I live in Canada. I'm pretty indistinguishable from many Canadians now, um, and so in what ways am I still Israeli? Like, what did that mean that I used to live in Israel, and why you know, if it if I am just a you know Canadian, um, a, a mother and housewife now, like what? Like, what, you know, why did I why do I keep writing about Israel? And what does it mean to me? And so I I think it's interesting to sort of, you know, in the essays, like, I don't ever take that direction head on. It's always just kind of implicit in the questions I'm asking Mm. and the people I'm talking to. And so I do think it's very interesting to, you know, go back and talk to my friends who are very informative in, you know, kind of my first epiphany of changing my life around and wanting to be Israeli. And like, where are they now, and what are their attitudes towards it? And you know, do I still share a
0: culture with them? And um, and 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 if I may jump to you, the drawing style. you, and you, you uh, this is this much like I guess uh, toward a hot Jew and some uh, these others are they. These are as far from cartoony as you can get this there's a these are more naturalistic in every way and and is that simply because of the the subject matter is they because of the seriousness of the topic
1: yeah i mean i think it gives them like when i do an interview with somebody and it's just like um um balloons surrounding a watercolor portrait of them like it kind of um so that kind of foregrounds the person rather than the actions, right? Mm-hmm. Because, the uh, you sure. know, if it's a portrait, it's a very still image. Um, and I think it also, like, and why it's better than a photo is, well, because I can, you know, yeah. I can compose it better than the actual photos <laughs> I took. Um, and I think that, you know, just the, just the, Evidence of my hand, you know, my physical hand, as well as my decisions and what I am showing you, um, I think that kind of keeps my voice in it, even when my narrative voice isn't in it. I think it kind of makes it feel uh, like, I mean, when I read... Uh, comics that are beautifully rendered like this especially that are handmade like watercolors I kind of feel like it is a very intimate experience like I'm like this artist is like you know this is what I made and I want to give it to you
0: sure well that's uh, that it's certainly the effect that it, it had on me uh because a the, the watercolors are so delicate because it is isn't what you ex- expect to see in any kind of comic book it it's uh, very connective and of course we all know um Uh, The turmoil that Israel society goes through on all of its levels. So there's a poignancy to it that, um, you know, uh, that connects in ways that I think, I guess, a line drawing wouldn't do. Yeah. Yeah, Um, I think so.
1: Yeah. Like it has a fullness to it.
0: Um, uh, well, um, I want to go on. I have to admit, I want to. I, I really want to hear you talk a little bit about Stranging the welcomer, um, I, because I learned so much about this. And I should say, in, in my own personal intellectual development, I mean, the Jewish novelists' work were, were really sort of fascinating to me. Um, uh, and, and, and you refer to so many of them, obviously um, Philip Roth. For myself, uh, you know, writers like Irving Howe, uh, Philip Roth uh delmore schwartz um were sort of fascinating to me in their dealings also with writers like um uh, um ralph ellison uh, albert mm-hmm. murray and the like and so much of the this 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 next essay that you talk about uh and how you look at race and jewish identity or uh, as the as the uh, your sub your 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 um uh your theme here um a theory of black and white and Jews all over. Uh yeah. it's really a kind of, really remarkable. Um uh, what yes, tell us something about this essay um and what it means to you.
1: Okay, this one took a long time for me to write I'll and bet. then a long long time <laughs> for me to draw
0: after that. I I'll bet. <laughs> yeah. Uh um, to navigate these issues. I mean, there yeah. obviously they're they're full of, of explosive issues, um, but you, you handle them about as well as anybody could have, and you're drawing at the same time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I, and, and I, I should I, really I want to like describe when... for our listeners that your daughter is actually holding the book up uh, with the final image in it, and uh, it I, I'm I'm trying to take a picture of it off the screen. Anyway, go on. <laughs>
1: um, uh, yeah, um, it. I mean, again, this kind of started just like toward Jew from something very small and something about, you know, my own attractions, um, which is that I always kind of found myself fascinated by the story of uh, Ethiopian Israelis, um, the idea mm-hmm. that there is this community and it was a fairly small community. It was only around 2,000 people um, mm-hmm. back in Ethiopia um, that lived, you know, in the wilderness, in the mountains of Ethiopia, but that they practiced... Judaism, Mm -hmm. um, and that they practiced a very uh, biblical sort of Judaism that it was less like Talmudic, but it was, you know, very identifiable as Judaism. Um, And then in the in the early 90s, in uh, 92, I think, um, Mm -hmm. there was sort of a coup that happened in Ethiopia, and the Jews were afraid that there was about to be, you know, that, that the country would be thrown into unrest, and they would be attacked by their neighbors, um and so the Israelis with you know lots of diplomatic help and money from American Jews um organized these airlifts wherein they got pretty much all 2000 people out of the country
0: This was a days. great I re, I remember this myself of course because yeah. yes
1: Um, and so like that story really fascinated me and just the images of them in Israel where, you know, it's these very dark skinned people, but they're, you know, they're very distinct looking people, um, Ethiopians, because we're not, I guess in the U S we're not used to seeing East Africans that much that they're more sort of, you know, they're often very small and delicate and, you know, with, um, you know, very big eyes. Um, and uh, I remember my grandma saying to me, oh, they don't look black, they look Jewish, yeah. which, of course, they're very dark-skinned, but yes. just the idea that, you know, that they do look different from many African-Americans who are, you know, more from <laughs> uh, different parts of <laughs> Africa. Um, but anyways, um, and so first, I actually wrote an essay in my in my undergrad days. that was just a prose right. essay about, like, <laughs> what identities are Ethiopian Israelis choosing in Israel and what identities are open to them. Mm-hmm. And I injo- enjoyed doing research for that essay, but I kind of felt like I didn't go deep enough, like that I am, was just kind of looking at them from above mm-hmm. and looking more about like their choices, like, you know, is, is there a big trend to sort of adopt African-American dress styles and rap? And like, what's that all about? Is that are them abandoning their Jewish identity? And then, you know, later reflecting on that, kind of thinking, oh, I want to do a comic about that. But then going back and reading that, I was like, well, it's really quite a shallow understanding and I really want to understand it deeper. Um, I can, want I jump understand- in, can I
0: jump in here for just a yeah. second? Because I, I just want to um, um, just want to mm-hmm. comment that, that this essay starts off. With you in a conversation with um, with uh, a woman that you met, what uh, an Ethiopian Jew, uh, the, the Mizrahi, I think you, the, the terminology. Uh, well,
1: the, the Mizrahi are well. I bring them into the essay because they were kind of the non whites of Jewish Israel. Mm-hmm. So Mizrachem are Jews from North Africa. I see. Uh-huh. And um, so they, the Ethiopian uh, Jews, call themselves the Beta Israel, okay. which just basically mm-hmm. means the House of Israel. Um, and yeah, I met a girl in the army. We were in basic training together, and there was one night when we were assigned guard duty. So it was me and her, um, just kind of up in a guard tower for four hours. Yeah. Um, so we kind of ended up having a conversation, like, you know, just because there was nothing else to talk about, we sure. did end up, you know, telling each other about our childhoods and everything. And that was very revelatory for me. Like, um, I hadn't heard that. Um, Ethiopian kids were kind of put En masse into these boarding schools Religious mm-hmm. boarding schools um, And the way that she talked about it It was kind of reminiscent of Like the residential schools For Native Americans and sure. Native Canadians mm-hmm. That you know That are credited with cultural genocide Of sure. yeah. um, Native yes. Americans um, And I, I mean I think it's not quite that bad Because they yeah. were able to see their families And I think that mm-hmm. the families themselves Like there was kind of um, a few years of the kids going into those those schools, but the families themselves kind of said, "No, we don't like this," and I think that mm-hmm. that phenomenon has kind of ended, um, thankfully. Although it, I think it did probably. I but- mean, it it did just seemed very um, that, I mean, that the Ethiopian Jews do have a different. Um, do have a different um, uh, tradition of Judaism, and like it's a very tension in Israel, like do we have to make them adopt rabbinical Judaism mm-hmm. or can we accept Ethiopian Judaism as legitimate? And that is also very much not a settled question, Sure. Um, but well, what <laughs> well, the well, essay? I'm getting all
0: over the place. That's also okay. I mean, there's so much in the essay, and I'm sort of interrupting you because I, I find it so fascinating. Because I, I mean, yes, you outline these conflicts in Jewish society, but what I uh, but I admit what I find really uh, fascinating about the essay is how you use these experience to kind of touch on the complexity uh, of of race in in Israel, uh, even connecting back again. Uh, as you were saying, more to uh, the African American influence, um, as well as even going back to the civil rights movement uh, that I came up through, um, and my understanding of both my interest in Jewish literature, but also an interest in, you know, what I used to hear called the, the great collaboration between American yeah. Jews and Blacks. Um, you even go so far to quote another uh, sort of culture hero of mine, Harold Cruz who, uh, you know, it's a long time since I read The Crisis of the Negro Intellectual, but, I mean, he had a somewhat complex, not always complimentary uh, response on the relationship, but I found all of these al- essays, that you, all of these elements that you're able to hold uh, in balance in this essay absolutely kind of fascinating, and on top of it, you know, it's a comic, and it <laughs> has elements of humor as well as very, you know, serious analysis. So I don't. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, take up your narrative wherever you can. Again, I know this is a little confusing, but I I, I just love hearing you talk through it.
1: Yeah. um, So, yeah, I did think it was important to bring in the relationship between American Jews and (laughs) African-Americans, because I kind of felt like. American Jews were a big part of the story of Operation Solomon as well. Mm-hmm, yes. Like they like American Jews raised you know millions of dollars in very short time mm-hmm. to get the Ethiopians there and then uh, still a lot of the kind of social welfare organizations um, in the Ethiopian Israeli community you know have either were founded by Americans or have you know a lot of their funding coming from the states. And so I ended up kind of in my research, um, uh, making the argument that, you know, um, that American Jews might've been in some way sort of making up for the fact that the great collaboration, you know, that, that we, that it, it failed, you know, that it, yeah. we allowed it to fall apart in, uh, for, for a large part in the, in the late sixties, um, and maybe, maybe this was kind of our shot at redemption, <laughs> at saying, well, here's some other better black brothers that we can, you know, we'll do better this time. Um, and instead of really facing, you know, instead of trying to face and uh, reconnect with the African-American community, then uh, in the 90s and 2000s, the American Jewish community is dumping all this money on the Ethiopians But again, without really connecting with them, just dumping money and not really seeing what do they need? What problems are they facing?
0: One of the things you do in the essay, you talk about a a meta narrative of Israeli life. Yeah. Um, And uh, and the way that. An issue of race or perception of race, black or white within Israel's uh, legacy of immigration um, creates this in, unusual cycle of victimhood and oppressor.
1: Yes. So um, the, um, of course, after the Holocaust, there was a big influx into then, you know, mm-hmm. de- then British Palestine of uh, <laughs> Jewish refugees from the Holocaust, and there were some Zionist settlers already there. Um, but then, in 1948, right after the state of Israel was declared. Um, the Arab countries, um, kind of expelled all their Jews or almost all, um, many of them, uh, either, you know, officially or just through, you know, making it impossible for them to stay. Sure. Um, and so there, there were thousands and thousands of Jews coming from Morocco, from, um, uh, Syria, from, uh, from Iran and Iraq, from Yemen, um, just all sort of uh, the Muslim countries around Israel saw their ju- big Jewish populations kind of fleeing in a hurry to Israel. And because it was in, you know, such a hurry and under sort of a threat, um, it was weird how Israel, which was kind of barely established as a country, kind of decided that these people were, you know, the un- going to be the uneducated underclass. Um, and these people were kind of going to be the non-whites. Um, and so those are what's called Mizrachim or Sephardim sometimes. Mm -hmm. And it just means, you know, Jews of the Levant. Mm -hmm. Um, but they kind of were put into these refugee camps, whereas, you know, the refugees from the Holocaust were often integrated into Kibbutzim and the, Mm -hmm. you know, nicer agricultural villages. And there was a systemic kind of, um, Deprivation of government benefits to the Mizrahim, whereas the Ashkenazim, who are the European Jews, you know, got mm-hmm. much more benefits. Um, and it lasted, you know, for generations and even to an extent till today that um, generally the poor Israeli Jews are, um, are Mizrahim, are from originally from uh, Arab country mm-hmm. origins and the richer, more educated cultural elite. Uh, tend to be European Jews. Um, and there was even a movement in the 70s that called themselves hapantirim Hashchorim, which means the Black Panthers.
0: Oh, yes, yes, uh, yes.
1: And so those were mostly Moroccan Jews uh. um, who um, were just protesting their social place and protesting the fact that, you know, they were getting arrested in bigger numbers and put in, like, juvenile detention oh. in big numbers. Um, and... Um, that was kind of the first Mizrahi pride movement, and it was explicitly, um, you know, aligning itself with the African-American struggles.
0: And that um, came sorry. again, as you mentioned before, later on, a, a sort of a new round of African-Americanism.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Which I guess was much more recently. Um, uh, but you know what I do? Imp- and then but, uh, the essay goes on, of course, but um, there, it, it, the as you reach the conclusion um, uh, uh, you, you look at um, if I'm not mangling your themes here um, a, a new definition of uh, you know Israeli um, identity that's neither victim, Nor oppressor, Uh, and I think you uh, you you characterize it in some ways as sort of transcendental empathy. I think this goes back to the name of the title of the essay, Um, uh, uh, strength not based in either of those poles, but in a a, um, an an impulse to welcome the strange. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I I just it's it's just a uh, an engaging. ending on um, in the uh, uh, way to navigate the complexity that you've gone along. If you can, you can, you can round out that to have a discussion on yeah, that if possible. Yeah, I mean, I
1: feel like that, I mean, part of what I'm thinking about, and I think I'm thinking about in future pieces also is like, you know, diaspora Judaism versus Israel Judaism. And I think that Israel Judaism in some ways have gotten a little bit too settled. Like we're in our God-given homeland. We are the majority. Um, and I think that that's not always a great place to be, that if you, you know, because the Bible says, you know, welcome the stranger for you are strangers in e- Egypt. So if we were more in touch with, as, you know, diaspora Jews, uh, like American Jews used to be, the idea that we're a minority and we're not always on firm footing, then we can see, you know, when other people are struggling, we can see other people sure. who are struggling and see them um, not as obstacles, but. Like, you know, I was looking at the philosopher Levinas as well a lot. And he says, if you truly can face the stranger, you will not see it, the stranger or uh, your neighbor as an obstacle to to your success, but as the only way to really experience God, the only way to see God is in another person. Um, So, you know, just kind of taking that and kind of taking the idea of, you know, as a minority that we have to stick up for other minorities and help each other when we can. Um, that, you know, that maybe we can combine these facets of Judaism as well as facets of African-American philosophy um, to not, you know, think of ourselves as majority or minority or not think of ourselves as, you know, if I have something that somebody else doesn't have something, but try to actually use empathy and, you know, both a case-by-case basis and a larger cultural basis.
0: Well, um, it, it's an absolute uh, fascinating journey to follow your thought through these uh, meandering strands of, uh, of of conflicts and and resolution. Um, I, I just want to read like just like one of the last panels you have here of um, your of the cartoon Miriam <laughs> uh, facing facing the audience. Um, uh, uh, how how can we deliver a message about our humanity from behind the bars of Quotation marks. Um, yeah, that,
1: that's a quote from *Living Us*. Is it
0: okay? There you go. Um, uh, uh, look, this is uh, it's a, it's a really an unusual, fascinating, uh, imaginative uh, use of cartooning. Um, so, and it's been actually wonderful hearing you to talk about it. Now, uh, as I understand it, you're going to be in New York. Um, very soon. I mean, this podcast will broadcast probably after you're gone. But I'd love to. Uh, uh, where are you going to be speaking or I'm presenting?
1: Um, so it's the uh, Museum of Jewish History. Uh, uh, I, I guess near Battery Park, like um, oh, okay. in mm-hmm. um And it's in conjunction with the Jewish Book Council and the Anne Frank uh, Society. Um, and so it's it's going to be a panel moderated by Ellie Valley about. Uh, Just kind of Jews reclaiming Jewish images in cartooning, you know, with the history of anti-Semitic cartooning, like, you know. uh, So it's going to be me and a few other graphic novelists kind of on a panel talking about how we choose to depict Jews and Judaism, um, I guess, especially, you know, in the light of European history.
0: Sure.
1: So I'm really excited about that. It's going to kind of be my chance to visit New York with my new book. Um, And I I hope it goes well.
0: Yeah, well, I'm sure it will. Um, So I know you have a new book out now, uh, Toward a Hot Jew, published by Fantagraphics. Um, And and, and so I know you're talking about this book now. Are are you working on anything else that we should know about? Um, um, Should we go to your website, which you can tell us what it is? (laughs) <laughs> yes, my
1: website is a girl dot um and it has nothing to do with the novel Gone Girl. Okay. I you uh, had that website before that novel was ever published. Um it's actually a Langston Hughes quote.
0: Uh um, oh, I like right. I like it even more.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh so uh, cuz you know he talks about you know it's when one of the simple stories when simple stories are oh, like, real for me with this great. Um and so it, that it was always kind of about, you know, I always draw about Israel, but I'm out from it. I'm left Israel. Um, so that's what I've always called my publishing company. Uh, and, yeah, there's more comics on there. Um, there's some clothes. There's some mini comics. Um, I'm working on a new mini comic. Um that might be anthologized, or it might not be. I'm waiting to hear back on that. But it's actually going to be a Holocaust comic, which uh-huh. I feel like as a Jewish man drawing Holocaust comics up to now. Um, but then my friend had a very interesting story, and I kind of wanted to adapt it as a mini-comic. Uh, so that's what I'm working on now, and um, continuing uh, to work on Jobnik, hopefully... Hopefully mm. in the next couple of years I'll have the second volume of JobNik out. Awesome. Um, and then, yeah, I just continue to do whatever I'm interested in. All
0: right. Well, Miriam, uh, this has been really fascinating to hear you talk about your work. Uh, I think this is probably the longest conversation we've ever had. Um, in any event, uh, Miriam, thank you so much for being on More To Come.
1: Oh, thank you so much for inviting me.
2: It's great to talk to you. Hi, Heidi McDonald here at the Comic Arts Brooklyn Show. Uh, running around the floor sundown has come beautiful sunset outside but people are inside buying comics um some of them by mike dawson i'm here with mike dawson some <laughs>
3: of them
2: yeah some by mike dawson i know wasn't that that was a real professional transition <laughs> i've been praised for my transitions before but that might not have been one of my better ones uh mike how's it going
3: it's going pretty good i yeah. sold some books at yeah. the show. well
2: there you go you know at the end of the day which is what we are literally at yeah like the, like end the last of the 45 day, minutes yes uh that is one of the best things you could say i sold some books at this show um uh, now, your, your most recent book is Rules for Dating My Daughter,
3: correct? Yes. So, that's a book. Uh, cl- it mostly collects uh, diary strips and uh, personal essays. I, I, you'd think I, by now I'd have a good sort of like way of like explaining to people. Mostly what I say is it's a collection of comics about parenting and politics. Sometimes I say left-wing politics, depending on if the person looks like they'd be <laughs> like, Oh! <laughs> right, right. Now, uh,
2: you also do comics for The Nib, correct? Yeah. I'm yeah. also...
3: I'm trying to do a comic on the Nib at least uh, once every two months. Uh, the new Nib is up and running, and they've been, they've been pub- publishing some of my stuff. Um, so that's yeah. a really excellent online app. I like doing stuff online. I, yeah. I found that that's the place for me.
2: Well, <laughs> <laughs> now, Mike, you have been a guest on this on this podcast before. In fact, you and I had a long talk after the publication of Angie Bongiolotti yeah. uh, Is that how say it right? Yeah. Yes. And, uh, you know, some of the comments that you had. And uh, that was actually one of our highest, most listened to podcasts ever. Was it? Yeah, it was actually. So, uh, so, but now you're peaceful and happy, so I'm sure no one will listen to this. I know. Um, uh, <laughs> um, I see people looking at your book, so if you need to turn around and sell a book, uh, you know, we'll, we'll let you do that. Um, but yeah, what do you, what do you think what do you think online is your your uh, metier?
3: I have just started thinking of online as like a big, large convention. Uh, one in which I think it's a little easier to find your audience um like i find found through doing a kickstarter that that actually was the best like if i considered a kickstarter a 30-day convention like i was able to sell more copies of a book through that like just through that as my means of selling and distributing a book than i do at any convention and the same thing i did this last year i did a little mini comic um like a little eight page one and i kickstarted it and so you know made it like at least like $1,500 or so mm-hmm. which is not what I make a convention. Right,
2: right, right yeah. <laughs> So
3: I just sort of am looking at it as uh, online is the convention
2: Right Huh, interesting and I mean as far as doing uh, nonfiction comics here uh, I mean is that something I mean do you have a lot of is it easier to find ideas for that or do you think or
3: The nice thing I found about working for the Nib is that since there's a since they're interested in my work and they want me to do things on a like on a regular basis it kind of gets the ideas going Like, when I was writing rules for dating my daughter, I sort of got to this place where, like, the ideas were coming fast and furious. Like, I have a comic in there, this one called Longstreet Farm. It's about vegetarianism, and um, and I think it's, like, the best comic I ever did. And now I I stopped working for The Nib for a while when they went offline and i feel like i lost all that momentum and like i want to get back to that place so right. i'm really excited they're back again
2: well that's you know what mike it's interesting because i really feel like you have uh you know and I, I think even when we talked about angie uh you know so there's a lot of ideas in that book and maybe tell a fictional story wasn't even the right you know setting for those ideas
3: <laughs> well like actually like the the themes in angie bongiolati and in rules for my daughter i think are kind of the same thing it's about like an individual's ability to have an impact politically in the world. Yes, exactly. Like, yes. It's, it's the same stuff I'm interested in, but I find it's just a better format, like for me. Yeah. I mean it's just or making these things that people can share like through social media, like I feel like it's just reaching people like in a much more like effective way.
2: Right, right. So what's next? So as we write this, it is uh, uh, well by the time you listen to this. Uh, I think it'll be after the election so we'll either be living in a hellish dumpster fire of hopeless uh, hopeless cruelty or else a world where the woman is president of the United yeah. States for the first time uh, so we don't we won't know so, so depending on the outcome of the election what, uh, anything that you have coming up that uh, we should uh, you know
3: well, I'm, at- I'm doing two things one is I'm continuing to work for the nib, which I am um, the idea is to continue to make essays that sort of Work around um, gaming, uh, hyper like a like a irrational jingoism, and uh, football, like NFL uh-huh. football. Right. Well, uh, that's a great topic. So it's gonna like sort of be built mm-hmm. around like a Jets game that I went to, but a lot of like essays. And the other one is gonna be uh, a biography of a uh, of a woman um, called Bobby Brown, who was uh, the woman in the uh, Warren's cherry pie video.
2: Oh, okay. Right. And, um, nice.
3: And I'm planning on making a, like a straight-up biography of uh, of her. I well, could talk to her. Well, it so. sounds
2: like comics mm-hmm. have become this place where people could explore some pretty fascinating topics that are uh, maybe not as well known, you know, as perhaps some woman in a video, yeah. and yet find a <laughs> common ground and uh, a more universal message. I think. Boom. I don't know. That's my observation, anyway. Uh, well, Mike, thank you so much for taking a couple of minutes to talk to us, and uh, we'll have a longer conversation. Uh, at some point where we can really follow up on everything
0: we talked to but, uh but thanks a lot thank you for having me welcome to more to come PW Comic World's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing I'm Calvin Reed senior news editor at Publishers Weekly and co-editor of PW Comics World check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics well we're here in the heart of Williamsburg, Brooklyn we're at Comics Arts Brooklyn that's cab uh, to the rest of you uh, an annual show of uh, indie and self-published comics here here in Brooklyn and uh, I'm standing now in the booth of New York Review Comics. Uh, believe it or not, the comics uh, line of the New York Review of Books. That's right, folks. That that they read comics too. So um, look, uh, uh, I'm here now with the two guys that run the uh, run run the imprint, um, Gabe Winslow Yost uh, uh, and Lucas Adams. Uh, welcome to more to come. Thank
4: you. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us.
0: So, um, I, you know, I wrote a story at PW about the launching of the line. Uh, I mean, I mean, um, some people may think what, scratching their heads, uh, comics in the New York Review, an unfortunate stereotype. But maybe you could, uh, uh, both of you, could chime in a little bit and tell uh, our listeners a little bit about New York Review Comics.
5: Well, the basic idea, so New York Review of Books have been doing for the last fifteen years, twenty years, a line of books, New York Review Classics that were. Rescuing out of print classics, new translations of great books, just really eclectic all over eras, countries, and it was, we, Lucas and I, had both loved it, first as readers, then as people within the review, and we thought something like that, pulling in new translations, bringing back lost works, would be perfect for comics, and that people would get excited about it, and that people in the company would be into it too. And so we we pitched it, and it eventually happened.
0: Yeah. So these are, these are you're bringing kind of classic works back into print, uh, in some cases with new introductions um, by
4: some fairly well-known artists. Yes, like uh, Agony uh, by Mark Byer, which was originally published mm-hmm. in 1987. We had Colson Whitehead do the intro for it. Awesome. He did a great write-up in the Times about why it would be the book that he'd like to give to President Obama, so it kind of <laughs> built from it. there. Uh, yeah, and so and it's also about bringing in uh, stuff that's never been translated. There's like, Gabe and I both had an experience like not being French speakers of seeing so many great French comics mm-hmm. by like Blutch uh, that we just wanted to read, and this was like a great sure. excuse to be able to read them. Like, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: so your first line is out um, out now. It's like about what four to five titles. Five, yeah, five uh, you so
4: mentioned far. a couple of them. Can you mention uh, the books that you've got out now? Sure. Yeah. So we've got uh, Agony by Mark Bayer, We have Almost Completely Baxter. New and Selected Blurtings by Glenn Baxter. Uh, what Am I Doing Here by Abner Dean. Uh, Soft City by Pushwagner, Peplum by Blutch, and uh, a little bit later in the spring we have uh, Pretending is Lying by Dominique Goblet. Okay.
0: So, now you've also got, um, I think, uh, I see a list here of books that are coming out in um, spring 2017. Yes. So, you want to talk a little bit about those? I can jump over to your partner yeah, 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 about yeah. the books so that are coming up. The first one that's coming up
5: in February is Pretending is Lying by Dominique Goblet, an mm-hmm. amazing Belgian artist. Never, Nothing by her has ever been translated to English before. It's cool. a sort of experimental memoir in different art styles mm-hmm. and fragments. She worked on it for over ten years. It's really fantastic. She did the English lettering herself for the mm-hmm. new edition. Mm-hmm. After that we've got um, Father and Son by E.O. Pound, which is this amazing gag newspaper strip from the 30s from Germany. Uh-huh. Huge, like the Calvin and Hobbes of 30s Germany. Okay, I can't wait Super, to see it. Still really she It's <laughs> about a father and son hijinks some ongoing Mm storylines a lot of just great jokes Mm -hmm. and it totally holds up it's really amazing and heartwarming and fantastic and we're doing a brand new hardcover edition of that Mm -hmm. we've got a new book coming out by Uli Luss who did uh, Yes Yes, uh, one of
0: my favorite books that particular book it's so good yeah
5: favorite of both mine and Lucas's as well and her new book is uh, Voices in the Dark, and it's her first Uh full-length work of graphic fiction. Uh It's set in the 1940s, it's about the Nazis, it's in full color, it's amazing. And this is a new book, this is a new book. Yeah, it came out in Germany in Uh 2013, I think, Uh and was translated into French, but we'll be doing the English translation. Wow, big, long book, beautiful, in color, and really intense and dark Mm -hmm. and amazing in the way she is. Mm. We've also got a book by this uh, French... artist from the late 70s called Nicole Kailo. Mm-hmm. There's a beautiful sort of psychedelic internal fantasy uh-huh. stuff. Mm-hmm. They'll have an introduction and a new cover by Dan Clouse who's loved it since he was a teen. Uh-huh. So that's sort of the first round. A couple others after that. But that's what's well, on very the Very
0: impressive. I mean, your first list, I was really familiar with all of the books. But, you, you know, you've actually kind of Got my head on a swivel a little bit here uh, for the second line. Uh, I mean, I'm familiar with Uli Lust because I'm a huge fan oh, yeah. of uh, tomorrow to could Be the Last Day of the Rest of Your Life. But I'm 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 comple- okay. I can't wait to see the other books because I'm completely in the dark. Where, where are you? Where do you find these these titles? I, I'm just curious. Well, you know, you do since a... you say you don't. Do you speak French? No, not really. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We,
5: we puzzle through. You know, we uh-huh. can read a little bit. You puzzle through. Sure, you look sure. up words. You know, you get through. I actually. Sure. I read Spanish a lot better, so in some cases, the first time I read it, I try to get a Spanish yeah. version. Um, but you know, we, we there were some books that we both knew about from the beginning. You know, there were ones you know we started this because we knew about some books that we mm-hmm. thought yeah. deserved to be in print. But then a lot of it, you know, trolling around looking for stuff that people talk about online, well uh-huh. reviews, and then asking people. I mean, mm-hmm. we found Soft City because I sent Chris Ware an email saying mm-hmm. we're starting up this thing any suggestions, and because he's like the nicest guy in the yeah, world, yeah, indeed he, he is. sent us like four great suggestions <laughs> oh, and said, if you do any of these books, I'll do a cover, I'll do an introduction. Wow. The first one on that list was Soft City. Uh, same with the the Clouds book. We sent him an email. He said, I wish you'd asked me first, because I would have said Soft City too. <laughs> Dang it. But then he talked about this. Which actually, we had seen someone else. You know, people just sort of, you ask sure. people, you ask translators, and you just start seeing stuff. And once you start doing it, people start coming to you. And okay. it's been...
0: And by that, that's Gabe speaking. I'm going to jump oh, over yeah, to Lucas. Uh, um, no, no. no, that's fine. I just want to yeah. make sure our, our we're doing sales. People, I mean, yeah, yeah, so they got nervous. it. Yeah. By the way, because we're right on the floor here. So, I'm, is this the first time you've done um, uh, cab, or have you been here before? Uh, this is our first time selling a cab. Yeah, it's the first time. Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, are you happy with the sales? Very. I mean, this is certainly your marketplace.
4: Yeah. No, it's perfect. <laughs> it just feels like very like easy, and it's like really receptive. Like uh, a guy came by earlier who uh, had the French edition of Peplum he was so excited about the English and he actually has a had a tattoo on his shoulder from the book oh like, now that's impressive yeah, yeah committed
0: <laughs> um, so do you do you do other shows um how, yeah, yeah. we we did uh, SPX earlier uh, oh, TCAF no, okay, cool. and Mocha Dude, and, so, uh, yeah, okay, TCAF okay yeah, cool. yeah. well it's a funny thing i I've, I've been to TCAF twice it's an awesome show i mean this is an awesome show TCAF is awesome on a whole other scale yes, yes. uh for a show that focuses on these kinds of comics yeah so well, look. This is really great. I mean, it's really happy uh, that you, this line seems to be doing well. May, may I ask how are sales? They're pretty solid. For, yeah. Like we started in March, and we
4: feel very good about it. Yeah. subsidy yeah. City's been selling really well. Yeah. Yeah. All right.
0: All right. Well, look. This has been really great. It's really, uh, uh, really impressive to see the kind of titles that uh, are, are attracting an audience. Uh, so I th- thank you, Lucas, and the gate. Thank you so much for being on More to Come. Oh, thank you for having. Thank you for having us. All right.